Today's conversation at Dr. Geo Podcast is with Jeff Young, who is a kinesiologist and certified strength and conditioning specialist who implements and oversees medical fitness and post-rehab patient services here in New York City. Jeff is a president-elect of the American College of Sports Medicine, Greater New York Regional Chapter. Jeff is an expert, and he loves to talk shop on fitness and strength training. He is a scientific geek with that, except that he's willing and able to talk to the normal person and make things understandable in this conversation. We talk about everything strength training and what kind of physical exercise is important, and we have a little debate as to really which one is number one, barbell squats or deadlifts. Tune in to find out which one is Jeff's number one versus my number one in this podcast. Today's conversation with Jeff Young on strength training and physical exercise. Let's go. Welcome to the Dr. Geo Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Geo, where it is my goal to help you with your urological function and live better with age. Today, we have an interview with Jeff Young. We're going to talk about exercise medicine. Jeff, welcome, first of all, to the podcast on, on the middle of a holiday week. I appreciate you coming coming on. Thank you so Absolutely. much. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Thanks for having me. And, you know, as, as we've talked about before, we love talking shop with each other. So That's I just right. think this, this is an opportunity to talk shop. So I appreciate <laughs> That's it. That's right. Jeff, I have to ask you, man, the first question that comes to my mind. Did you change your last name since you're now into the exercise longevity <laughs> anti-aging thing? And you did you is that your real is young your real you last me, name? You got me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, come on. Yeah, hey, come, no. It can't be more perfect than yeah. actually I know a I know a female physician who got into anti-aging. Her her last name was not any it was not young, but she married into a young. And I was like, did you do that intent? Do you actually love this guy? Or do you just want his last name so that you could, you know, promote yourself? Get this at my first job out of college, uh at Duke Duke Medical Center, uh, one of the People on staff, one of the exercise physiologists, their last name was Patella, me Patella. Mm. And, and, <laughs> right. and one of our nutritionists, last name was Fry. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I just, you know, I, I just got kind of lucky. Maybe I was made to do this and and that's right. So Exactly. Look, I know a urologist whose last name is Wiener. No way. Man. Yeah, <laughs> sure, so sure. So, yeah. you know, patella is uh, uh, is the knee knee bone for those uh, in the audience yeah. that are kind of lost what that's about. So that is awesome. So, look, I think that 99% of what's out in social media, uh, it's crap and is there to separate people and to keep Agreed. people more pissed off at each other and, and so forth. So a lot of it is negative. Yes. I certainly can see what it does to teenage girls because I have teenage daughters, right? So most of it is negative by far. But I engage because I think, well, you know, why rather than, you know, rather than sit there and kind of talk about it and be upset about it, why don't you do something different? So I try to put out there positive things. And a few people keep me in because you you know a few people give give out some really good information, latest scientific findings, and you break it down. You're one of them, man. 
you're one of them. I appreciate it. Your Facebook postings, and you can share your with anyone on uh, your Facebook uh, names and so forth when, uh, at any point. You're one of them. You, you you give a very good, you highlight a great studies on, I see it on Facebook. I don't know if it's anywhere else. And then you break it down very nicely so that the user typically it seems like you write a lot to practitioners can utilize it and help their patients. So, uh, a, I appreciate that, uh, cause people like you keep me in and I keep just searching for your work and other high level people's work. So how did you get into this? <laughs> yeah. The other thing is I'm just thinking out loud here, the way you talk about physical exercise and strength training is like, I, I see, you know, my wife and I were, she, every now and then she catch me watching ESPN, these reporters, right? these sports reporters. And she says, you know, these people, they talk about sports, like there's nothing more important in the world than the sport with such passion. And, you know, and so I think of you as that, as it relates to physical, like you talk about it, like there's absolutely nothing more important than physical exercise and strength training. I appreciate it. So Tell us about why that, how did that evolve to what it is now and your, your background with it? Yeah. Okay. I've had a long, I'm in my 27th year, so I've had a long and windy and very unique career. So I'm, so you're 27 years old, Jeff. See, you are Jeff Young. I'm 27. I started when I started when I was zero <laughs> and, <laughs> and I'm now 27. I always tell people um, shave your head, you know, it's, <laughs> if, if, when in doubt, shave your head, you'll look younger. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, so I've had a long and, and windy, and I'm, I'm aware it's been a very unique career. And so I'll just kind of give you the outline version and jump to like, you know, throughout through different parts of it as it relates to this podcast and what we're going to be talking about. But um, I got to go back to, to uh, I graduated from Penn State in 96 with a degree in what's called kinesiology or exercise science. And I have to start there because I was right place, right time in the sense that I got involved in what at the time was the longest strength and conditioning study that had ever been performed. But more importantly, it was under the direction of someone named Dr. Bill Kramer, who is widely considered the premier strength and conditioning researcher in the world. And then as importantly, unlike you know, just being a study like comparing squats and deadlifts or muscle activation or something like that, this was a very long and unique study on how to design optimal programs. So here I am, you know, I, I get to start my career with you know being in this scientific and controlled study under the direction of the premier strength and conditioning researcher in the world, learning how basically piggybacking off what I'm learning in class on how to design optimal programs. And I don't have time to get into the whole study, but I do want to just quickly mention that there was like an aerobic training group. There was a calisthenics group. There was a group that trained in the higher repetition ranges with lighter weights, like that 15 to 25 repetition range. There was a group that trained in the middle repetition ranges, the eight to 12. And then there was what they called the power group. And that's the group I was involved in the trained in lower repetitions with heavier weights. And so, so break that down. Cause actually I do want to get into that study a little yeah. bit. If that's okay. Cause I think, it, oh sure, I think it's actually crucial uh, so that we understand, uh, you know, I, I never want to leave the audience high and dry and here's the study and sound smart, but I do want to be evidence-based science-based, right? Cause this, this is not just things that I come out of the air, everything I say, everything I, we talk about in interviews like this. So there's five arms in this study. It sounds like how many participants were studied and for yeah. how long and what was the outcome? 
Yeah. So basically what happened was the United States Army came to Dr. Kramer and said, perform a study on women between the ages of 18 and 32. And let me interject and say, it really, in the end, it wouldn't matter if it was women or men. I see. It, yeah, it, Any idea why women and not just men and women? Yes, because they wanted to see if women could make enough strength and, and conditioning gains to justify their position in combat roles. And I had just gotten out of the Army, so this is part of the reason why I was very intrigued and wanted to get involved. Um, so that, that was the purpose of the study. And so they actually had two control groups. One was men who did not go to the gym because at the end of the study, they wanted to compare the outcomes to your average male who is not a gym goer. Um, and, then, and then they had a control group that did nothing. And then, like I said, they had an aerobics group, a calisthenics group, a um, higher reps and light weight group, a moderate reps and moderate weight group and a low rep and heavyweight group that they called the power group. And, and the control group, just so that um, it, it, they're just ordinary men that are ordinary men and ordinary women. So, so they, there was two control groups. They wanted to compare it to women who are untrained and don't, you know, healthy, your average healthy woman who's not trained, who does, who's, who's not good to the gym and work out and not on a structured exercise program and men who, you know, with the same description. So we're trying to see, all right, what form of exercise, if any, is better than the other relative to those that men and women that don't exercise and are not trained. So whether it's aerobic, whether it's high reps, low reps, we're trying to figure that out. How long was the study? What was the outcome? So the study actually lasted over the course of three years, but it was like in six months sections. So they'd have a cohort, like for instance, the, so the cohort I trained, trained for six months. To jump to the conclusion, the group that I was in significantly outperformed every other group. Like they did very thorough army style testing, push ups, sit ups, runs, runs with a 72 pound rucksack on their back. They did bench press and squats and Olympic lifts and all that. So it was very thorough testing. And the group that got the strongest, which was the group that I trained, not, not, well, the group that I was involved in training significantly outperformed. So, Jeff, you were a participant, you were one of the study members. I, I was involved. I was involved in all aspects of training and testing. So I was a trainer. I was a student trainer. And the, and the subjects were, were women between the ages of 18 and 32. And it, and it was amazing to watch um, basically what I was learning in class, which is, uh, which is basically how to structure a strength training program uh, in action. And, and then amazing to see in such a short period of time their strength and performance increases. And then their attitude changes along with it. How like at first they were, oh, they, they didn't like that they were randomly thrown in the power group because they were worried about bulking up and, you know, a lot of that kind of stuff. That, that, that is hilarious, by the way. People who don't want to strength train because they don't want to get too bulky as yeah. if it's that right. easy to get that bulky. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, right. but it was just really cool to see like everything, not only their strength and performance gains, but their change in attitude as they went through it. And the fact that I, so here I was involved in the study where I also was involved with training the group that significantly outperformed every other group. And uh, so... So what group outperformed the other? Or did they all do well? And what was the endpoint that we're looking at? Yeah, so the endpoint that we're looking at, like if, if, if we had the study here in front of us and we were reading the conclusion of the study, uh, and it's a very long, long paper and a, a bunch of conclusions, but the gist of the conclusions were that no women don't bulk up. And that, that from a lower body standpoint, they can actually make uh, 
significant gains on men in strength and performance. Um, and that, and that from a, men who are healthy but don't aren't on a structured exercise program um but that ultimately from a program design standpoint you would want to not because the body can't handle training heavy all the time so you would want to set up a a a program that actually trains across a spectrum of repetition ranges kind of in a little bit in the higher ones with lighter weights probably a little bit more time in the moderate repetitions with moderate weights like that eight to 12 repetition range but then absolutely in you know dipping down into that four to eight three to eight rep range as well so from a practical ant standpoint it was include aerobic exercise but but make sure you got resistance training you got to you got to dip down to the lower ranges with heavier weights and they also added that the addition of a plyometric or in other words an explosive program may further improve power let me say one more thing the title i don't remember the exact title of the study but it was something along the lines of optimizing strength power and hypertrophy which just means increasing your muscle you know it lean muscle so it, it was optimizing strength power and hypertrophy in women or something along those lines. And I'm a big believer, a huge believer that when it comes to, to what you want to optimize in the program, I call it the big four power or, and really that just means for the most part, it means the ability to like do things quickly, including like catching yourself from falling or, you know, and think, you know, activities of daily living. So improve power, improve strength, improve your lean muscle and therefore your body composition and conditioning. And so a perfect program would be to have both aerobic and strength training, but in your strength training program, don't be afraid to, you know, progress to where you're eventually lifting with some heavier loads and get, you know, to maximize your strength or at least move in that direction. You know, the outcome of that study from, uh, um, you know, they looked at um, women from 18 years old to 30 something years old, military women. But there's a lot of takeaways for the rest of us who are not in the military and for the rest of us who are just looking to age well. So did that, going back to you and how you started, did that catapult you to say, I love this. I, I want more. That's right. So that's why I started with that, because then my first job out of college was at Duke University Medical Center's Diet and Fitness Center, which is a leading medical weight loss facility. So these were now people who were obese, morbidly obese, very sedentary, all the musculoskeletal and chronic disease conditions that go along with it. I'm fresh out of college and the language I speak is this, you know, the study I was involved in, but I knew I, I was smart enough to know that you have to scale things. You know, I can't be training the, you know, sedentary people this hard, as hard as we did the, the subjects in the study. So that was great because now I was able to base, and that's actually kind of my point is that yes, you can't, it, the, 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 what we did in the study doesn't just apply to young, healthy females. It applies across the spectrum. And, and then flat, flashing forward to, you know, later in my career, uh, 2006 to 2016, I was the um, founding fitness coordinator in a Mount Sinai Beth Israel facility called the Center for Health and Healing. During my 10 years there, we evolved into the most comprehensive urban-based integrative medicine and medical fitness facility in the United States. This is actually a big reason why I'm talking to you right now, because if it wasn't for that 10 years there, I wouldn't have the skill set that I do. So so now I'm applying those things that I learned at Penn State and then Duke to people across the spectrum of medical maladies, you know, disease and, and muscle and, and 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. And so what I realized and my whole point is that um, 
Concepts and principles are concepts and principles, and they apply across the lifespan and across the spectrum of medical maladies. You just have to understand how to scale things. Absolutely. So you've been in the game for a long time. And again, the level of passion is unparalleled, I, I have to say, or at least anyone. Uh, uh, I've spoken to other uh, strength and conditioning coaches, but yours is unparalleled. So I, that's the reason I said I, I need to have Jeff on, on the pod. So here's what we're trying to do today, Jeff. You know, I think that what I'm interested in, what my audience is interested in, is all right. Very few people. I was having a conversation uh, with a friend who was like, "I don't, I, man, I don't want to, I don't want to work out today." And the next day was the same thing. I was like, "I'm like, dude, no one wants to ever." I, I mean, even <laughs> right, even the the meatheads don't wake up in the morning and say, "I can't wait to go to the gym and start pumping." No one does, right? So this is one of those things that is not a quick fix. You just don't take a pill, right? Uh, one of these things that give you a lot of bang for your buck in the study that you mentioned that you were part of Penn State, one of the things you mentioned that stood out in my head as you were saying it now is their attitudes change. Yeah. Why? Because there's mental health benefits from physical exercise. So if we were to have exercise in a bottle and patent, you and I would be trillionaires because it, it hits so many areas. It has so many medicinal properties, therapeutic properties. You know, I'm nursing a, uh, left shoulder, whatever, uh, radiating pain down my arm. But it's been it's been the case for it flares up for whatever reason. I don't know why. It could be from I do martial arts and things. Here's the bottom line. You know, I train with a few a few people and say, oh, don't you want to check it out? I, say, I might, but we'll see. I, I take care of all these things with more strength training. Obviously, I have to do things differently. Be careful, even more careful with form, and I can't lift as much because it doesn't. I can't lift that arm. It gets better. So not only does it not get worse. I've never had a physical ailment of any kind where exercise made it worse. I'm sure it could happen, and maybe you, but I've never experienced it. I've ne many of my patients have never reported that, and if not, it gets better. So my thing is, look, as you age, you're gonna have some pain. Be fit and strong with pain rather than be weak and 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 debilitated with 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 you know with pain. That's right. So. Our conversation, we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to focus on, you know, exercise as medicine to live longer with optimal functionality as we age. You know, better with age is one of the main phrases of, of this podcast. And as it relates to any disease that you want to talk about, whether it's reversal or prevention, diabetes type 2, I think is one that's up your alley. But if you can go into cancer a little bit, that's fine. Um, so take us take us on this journey. Exercise is medicine. What is it? Is it real? Of course, <laughs> I'm already by, I'm done with that. I don't need to, I don't need to hear it from you. It is real. But to, in a more, you know, from your experience, because this is a lot what you do, how is exercise medicine? Um, and are we just kind of, is it just smoking mirrors that all of us that are talking about it that way? Yeah. You know, uh, I learned from Dr. Kramer decades ago that exercise, so we have physical activity, exercise is you know, under the umbrella of physical activity, and then you can break exercise down into aerobic and resistance training and then continue to break it down from there. But but when, when I'm talking about just exercise in general, I'm referring to both aerobic and resistance training. I learned from Dr. Kramer um, decades ago that exercise has a positive effect on pretty much every system in the body. And that's the reason why exercise is medicine. Strength training, resistance training, which is, in my opinion, under 
underappreciated and underutilized, um, right? It uh, is has a positive effect on more systems in the body than any other form of exercise. And, and then now recent research, like in the last five, 10 years or so is talking about the, the hormone and, and byproduct release of, from muscles called myokines um, and, and, and other organs under an umbrella term called exerkines, which basically just means that when, when we start exercising and it's, to me, this is amazing and it's, a, it's a beautiful thing. When we start exercising, our organs and our muscles start releasing hormones and other byproducts, and they and they use it to talk to each other. It's called organ crosstalk, and and, and so the organs and that's why exercise is medicine because the it, it causes the the it signals muscles and the organs to start releasing products that talk talk to each other, and then um, and then ultimately increase the strength and efficiency of whatever that organ's job is, and then it's amazing. That's right. You know, I always say, as you know, Jeff, I do a lot of prostate cancer work, and I always say that, look, cancer hates an exercised body. Yeah. Right? They 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 want you to be sedentary and eat potato chips. They want you to sit down, turn on the, the TV, and just eat potato chips all day, and that's a perfect environment for cancer. When you do the opposite, it, it, you know, they, they hate that, and they really have um, it creates a hostile micro environment to cancer cells. Um, and we're all creating cancer cells all the time. You are right now. I am as well. It's just, you know, why is uh, certain bodies able to eliminate them and others are not exercise? Huge component of that. I, again, um, when you look at exercise, there's a good paper, I believe JAMA on, um, uh, maybe it's not JAMA, but great paper on exercise for cancers and saying, making these points, talking about these myokines and the anti-cancer benefits of these myokines, which are, these are chemicals produced by muscles when an exercise muscle that, you, as you said, has crosstalk, has a, an effect throughout the whole body, not just locally. Yes. So forth. Yes. But what diseases would you say, look, when you, if you exercise, absolutely you can reverse blah, blah, blah. What is that in your mind and from your research and experience? Just about everything. Yeah. So, uh, I'm, I'm very involved in, in, I think you and I met either through or at least partially related to that, the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. And so, so even though we're talking about exercise, let me just kind of, you know, pull away just for a second and say that I'm, I'm just a believer that you know, we need to look at our lifestyle and lifestyle medicine. And even though there's six pillars of lifestyle medicine and they're all very important, so I don't want to make light of pillars, but I just kind of like to, on a totem pole, I like to put eat healthy, exercise, including strength train, sleep and recovery, you know, arguably up near the top. And so I kind of start with that. And, um, you know, the, some of the, my colleagues within the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, we get in these types of conversations all the time. And we talk about, you know, if people would just, do those things. I mean, it's, and, and I know it's easier said than done, but idealistically, if we would just get adequate sleep, eat healthy, hydration, supplements as needed, you know, and, and exercise and strength training, that would that would go, go about 80 to 90%. It almost doesn't matter what the disease is. So prevention of disease, prevention and revert control management, control reversal. Now, there's a lot of diseases out there, so I definitely, and man, I tell you that I am a whole hard believer in that. Then I have to kind of tame my biases and my, you know, because I am, you know, we're human beings. Look, all I see from an oncology perspective, all I see is prostate cancer. And I see stage four people, stage four, I mean, you know, it's already, you know, um, outside of the prostate, into the bones, 
who are still not only alive, because that's not success in my opinion, alive, highly functional, where they're able to do almost everything that they want to do yeah. on a daily basis. That's yeah. that's in my mind, that's what success, people ask me, well, what's the success rate of your protocols? Let's define success. That's what it means in my mind. I have to, you know, brain can there's other cancers where I, you know, would it make a difference? I don't know. You know, you know, but there's another stuff, you know, uh, depression and anxiety, which I have a podcast that came out today, actually, on that as an end of the year thing, since we see so much mental health issues going on around the world. Mental health and anxiety, uh, uh, depression and anxiety. Um, type 2 diabetes, that's a reversible, full stop. With exercise and diet, type 2 diabetes is not type 1. Actually, type 1 diabetes is not reversible through just exercise. That's something different. That means that your your, your pancreas is not created. There's no beta cells that create this insulin or, or they not it doesn't create enough insulin. That's something else. But type 2 diabetes, reversible. If you put a gun in my head right now and say, Geo, right now, tell me what's the number one thing that can kill me as I get older. Holy shit. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Cancer, you know, heart attacks, is, you know, uh, Alzheimer's is, I don't know. Geo, one thing. What's the one thing that can lead to almost any disease as I get older? What's your number one concern? I have to say, sarcopenia. Sarcopenia is muscle wasting as one gets older. You lose muscle. The body wants to, and what you need to fight is this steady muscle loss as after whatever age. My understanding is even 30 years old. After 30 is just all downhill from there if you're not careful. But it's only muscle wasting. What does it have to do with cancer? What does it have to do? metabolically a lot of diseases are metabolic problems where to keep it simple the what's consumed doesn't is not utilized properly for energy so then that causes other problems that lead to cancer heart disease alzheimer's so that that causes a huge metabolic problem not to mention the falls from just weak muscles and no muscles and bones and those falls that cause uh, fractures. You know, one of the things in the elderly that causes a lot of uh, downhillness, I think I just made that word up actually, downhillness, <laughs> made it a verb, is fractures because then they can't move. And then so they get depressed and then they move less. And then it's just like one thing leads to the other. And then the heart attack or the stroke or the pneumonia or blah, blah, blah. Right. All these things that can be if not completely prevented, I don't know, you, maybe you can let me know. At some point, it's still going to happen anyway. You know, I, I don't know, 110 years old. I, I don't know what that number is, but the decline will still happen. But in terms of what gives you the most bang for your buck is muscle and strength. The other thing is that, and I want to turn it over to you in a second, but this is obviously something that I'm very passionate about as well. As I, I just hit 50 and I have kids and I want to, you know, what's my goal? My goal is to go out there and be physically active and engage in whatever, a pickup game of basketball. I know you like basketball, actually. A pickup game of basketball, not with my kids, with my 15-year-old grandkids. And I don't even have... You know, my kids are not, you know, they're still young, uh, two teenage daughters, the oldest, right? 
So that's my goal. So I'm training for that, right? So, so this quality of life is lower the risk of disease uh, and all these aging diseases. Um, here's the other benefit, I, and I'm, I'm probably preaching to the choir, but this is for our audience. Having muscle is like, it's like having too much money in your bank account when there's a recession. It's not a problem. It's a good thing, right? You have all this. This is the same thing. If you do need, I, 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 don't, I never say, well, if you do this, you'll never get X, Y, and Z. No, you may. You may need a surgical procedure. But you want to have a lot of muscle in case you need to be bedridden for several days, weeks, and have that reserve analogous to having enough money when there's a recession in your bank account. Because that's going to help you recover quicker. And that's just another, but we could go on and on with the benefits. So A, the question to you is, am I totally off here? And if I am, you could just, look, I'm not interested in being right. I'm also, always interested in getting it right. So you let me know if I'm off with this notion of longevity and, you know, and my fear with sarcopenia. And number two is, if that's the case, then what do we do and how do we train to have more muscle and strength? Take it away. Yeah. Well, first of all, I couldn't agree with you more and very well said, seriously. My, when I was at Penn State, I had a class called the Biology of Aging. And one of the, he, he wasn't the professor for this class, but he was a professor at Penn State. He was the director of what's called Knoll Physiological Research Lab, which is a world-class research facility on Penn State's campus. And his name is Dr. Bill Evans. And he's widely considered the one, either the or one of the premier researchers in the world on, on just, uh, fitness and aging and nutrition and aging. And uh, he did some landmark studies, one back in 1985 and one in 1990 that I like to reference all the time, where they were the first high-intensity uh, strength training studies on nursing homes patients. So the first one was, it was only 10 subjects. And I think they ranged in age from, I think they were like 89, 90 and 91 years old, but they also, they were, they were very deconditioned sarcopenia and, you know, cancer survivors and, you know, all the, all the medical conditions that you would figure, you know, the oldest of old are going to have. And then five years later, he did a similar study. Now the subjects arranged in age from like 78 to 95 years old or something like that. And um, they were only like two and two and a half year, I'm sorry, two and two or two and two and a half month studies. And, but jumping to the conclusion, they increased their increase in strength. in the first study was 175% in two months. And the, in the second, now they, it's low baseline, but still that's ridiculous. And, uh, and the other one, which was two and a half months, it was 114%. But more, more importantly, they, some of them were ditching their canes, their walkers, their gait speed increase, their ability to climb steps, even something called spontaneous activity increased by 48%. They just wanted to be more active. And, and so, so in any case, so it's my way of, of citing some research to say that Absolutely. They're now, you know, flash forward to today, and there's all kinds of study on on the oldest of old and, and nursing home patients. And yes, uh, it all comes down to uh, your, your muscle mass, your strength, and there's so many associated things that are associated with that, such as reducing inflammation, which is such a big culprit with chronic disease and stuff like that. So there's so many things that are tied into the need to you know, have an adequate level of muscle tissue and strength to go along with it. In this notion and this goal of you know, keeping as much muscle, growing as much muscle as possible, having as much muscle as possible and strength moving forward, 
in the last uh, several things that I've posted or whatever, I said, look, strength training is king. Which one do you think is most important? I don't know. Which one of my three kids do I love most? I don't know. But, you know, aerobic, stretching and yoga, strength training. I always say strength training. You can get cardio from strength training. You cannot do the reverse. Um, go into that a little bit. What kind of, what's, what's a good program? If the goal is uh, muscle growth, muscle strength, as a, I'm talking to a scientist and I know it's not just as neuromuscular and, and things, it's, you know, strength is more of actually activating the nervous system that stimulates that muscle. I think that's actually a very important distinction, but um, what do I do? What, what would my program be uh, in that case um, as I try to, you know, live better with age? Yeah. The National Strength and Conditioning Association, which is, you know, widely considered the the worldwide authority on strength and conditioning. They have a position statement, a very thorough position statement on resistance training for older adults. But the truth is, if you look at how they break things down, it really applies across the lifespan. They're just kind of scaling it a little bit more towards older adults. But the gist of it is, and it goes back to what we were talking about in the very beginning of this podcast, everyone should be training across that six to 15 repetition range. Six to 15 reps. Six to, yes, yeah, six to 15 reps. So if I do 20 reps, is there diminishing returns at that point? Yes. Yep. So, you know, I wish I could have like a chart here, you know, to, just to make it you know, for, for a visual, just to make things easier. But, but generally, if, if people can picture a continuum and on that continuum um, at the heavy end with one to four repetitions is, is that's the heaviest weight you can lift. So it's known as the very heavy repetition range or loading zone. Oh, oh, one rep max. Yes, like so. One to four. Yes, yeah, so yeah, one to one rep max is the heaviest weight you can lift, and the one to four for one rep, rep. You cannot do two reps. You can't do two reps. Yep. Okay. So the one to four repetition range is is known as, on a continuum is known as very heavy weights because it's the heaviest weight you can lift because you can only lift it one to four times. The four to eight repetition range is known as heavy weight. You can lift it more than one to four, but it's still considered heavy weight. The the eight to 12, uh, 12 repetition range is known as moderate weight. 12 to 15 is light and 15 to 20 is very light. And I'm using that as a point of reference because there's not a whole lot of difference between lifting light weights, 12 to 15, and very light, 15 to 20. Like in other words, why lift fifth, why lift very light weights, 15 to 20 repetitions per set, when you're going to get the same benefits and actually even more lifting light weights in the 12 to 15. So it's part of the reason. Sure. A minimal effective dose. That's exactly right. Right? right. So what's the least I can do to get, and actually this is, Jeff, this is good, right? Because what I'm suggesting is I don't care that you don't like to do weights, do it anyway. Yes. But I want to be sent. I could be in a gym for an hour actually, because to me it's partly meditation is active. So, but just because I like that doesn't mean you like that or I should force you to like that. So I want to know for that group that, look, I hate the gym. What's the minimal I could do to get maximum results? So what you're saying is hang around somewhere between what? What's the right amount of reps? Yeah, so. Um, and I know it's beyond reps. We could get into that. Yeah. So, yeah. So starting with the that 6 to 15 repetition spectrum that people should train across. Similar to that study I was involved in back at Penn State, you would you ideally you want to stay okay. So let's say all the listeners now want to be my client, but n- none of them you know either want to resistance train or they're hesitant or whatever. 
what I do in my initial consultation is I just tell people the truth. And I say, I feel like it's my job to give you the perfect world situation. And then we'll work with you on how to, you know, but I feel like it's my job to give you the perfect ideal situation. And then we'll work with you on that. And um, I like to break programming down into two categories. Category number one is called a familiarization phase. So for people who aren't used to it, we got to become familiar. We've got to become familiar with proper form and names of exercises and how the session should flow and things like that. That phase really only needs to last like maybe two or three weeks. It's a short starter phase. It's like dating. It's like dating. First couple of weeks, you know, before we are like in a real relationship, let's get to know each other a little bit. That's right. And then we could take it to the next step. And for those of your listeners who have ever been in physical therapy, that phase actually very closely mirrors what goes on in physical therapy in the sense that it's like two or three sets of 10 repetitions. It's, it's kind of low intensity, et cetera. And it's just a nice, comfortable start point. So in any case, you're only there for two or three weeks. Part of it, though, is to get the person to realize, oh, I'm, I'm feeling better. And, you know, even with this lower intensity and lower volume, and I'm only doing this like twice a week, I'm feeling better. And so it's part, that's, it's part of the, to get them to kind of trust the system and, you know, and all that stuff. And then, then you start uh, moving across that, that six to 15 repetition range, but you do it in like reverse order. So we would start at that 10 repetitions for about three weeks in that familiarization phase. But then I would place everybody at that 12 to 15 repetition range, stay there for about a three to four week phase. During that phase, I'm going to get you stronger in each exercise that we're doing at 12 to 15 repetitions. So I'm, at that repetition range, I'm going to get you stronger with each exercise that we're doing. And that's going to prepare your mind and your body for when we drop to 10 to 12 repetitions within that 6 to 15 spectrum. We drop to 10 to 12. We stay there for a three to four week phase. We get you a little stronger in that phase. 10 to 12 repetitions with higher weight. Yes. Yeah, because since we're doing two less repetitions, by default, we can increase the load a little bit. So the magic, essentially, with time is increasing the load, which means inc- increasing the weight that you're lifting. That You have to get to that point. That's exactly it. This is a linear, this is a logical, common sense, linear way to progress in strength. You start with lighter loads and higher repetitions, and you allow your body to adapt and get stronger in these phase for three to four weeks, and then, and then you drop it. To 10 to 12, you increase the load, you get a little stronger in there, you start to realize, oh, I'm feeling better and I can handle these weights. And then you drop to eight to 10, you do the exact same thing, three to four week phase. Does that weight that you do, let's just keep it at 10 to 12 reps, does it get lighter after a certain? In other words, does it feel like you could do, at some point, you could do seven more after you do that 12th rep? And and then so that, is that an indicator that, yeah, you need to increase the weight? Well, yeah. So that gets into a, it depends on how deep you want to get into this, but I'll, I'll kind of give the shorter answer first. And if you want to get a little deeper, we can. Uh, you could get as deep as you need to. What I want to know is how do I know that I'm getting stronger? And how do I know that now I need to increase the weight? Is there something that my body's telling me as I lift this weight? Yeah, this feels a whole lot lighter than last week now. Same weight. Resistance training is an anaerobic activity. So aerobic obviously means with oxygen and oxygen is your your primary energy source and anaerobic just means that you're using energy sources other than oxygen. Right. If when a resistance training set, if it's done properly, it should be an anaerobic set. It should be an anaerobic activity. And so the, the reason why this is critical to understand is because the way to know that you're choosing the right weights and that you really are 
you know, is an anaerobic activity and you're going to progress is the characteristics that go along with that. So when, an, so using a sprint is an example of an anaerobic activity. Anaerobic means that you're at or near an all out effort. So using a sprint as an example, if you're, if you're on a football field or something like that, and you're sprinting as hard as you can, you're in a race with somebody, you're sprinting as hard as you can. At some point you're going to slow down because you can't, you can't maintain a sprint forever. You're so power decreases you're, you're going to slow down number one number two at some point there's going to be a look of strain on your face because you're putting that you know you're going all out so and these are characteristics of a true working set so um so when you're doing your set this is this is how it's, it's called the R, oh, i call it the rpe method right your rate of perceived effort the effort that you perceive you're putting into the set so let's just pick like a seated row and let's just pick 10 reps yeah because the magic question is to me for 27 years now, how, how do I know what, what weight I should choose? And my, exactly. answer to, and my answer to everyone is just like, I got to figure it out as a coach. You got to figure it out too. So there's a learning curve. And so you have to, so what I would suggest is choose a load that you intuitively know is too light. Do your 10 repetitions and you're going to realize that, yeah, there was no look of strain on my face. Every, every repetition moved with the same speed and I wasn't huffing and puffing at all after the set. You're going to know intuitively it was too light. And then you just start to in, incrementally start increasing loads until you find that load where at the, you know, once again, in Cedar Row, towards the end of that set, right, that, that look of strain starting to happen on your face, that the, the movement is starting to slow. And you notice that when, as soon as the set's over, you're huffing and puffing a little bit. Those are the three characteristics of a working set. Look a strain in your face, movement slows, huffing and puffing. And also, that is what we refer to as the intensity, right? So that's one way of measuring intensity that where you don't have a heart rate monitor because that's not, a, you know, that doesn't, you know, you don't have, let's say you don't have a coach, you should have a coach, but let's say you don't. One way of determining in- intensity that is completely subjective and it's okay, yep. it's grimace, right? Facial yep. grimace, breathing. Yeah. And what was the third? And the third one is actually the most important. The, the velocity or speed of movement needs to slow. If, if the speed of each repetition was the same as the speed of every repetition that preceded it. So in other words, if your last rep, you were able to move that weight at the same speed as the pre- rep that preceded it, it was a warm up. And this is what guides your loading. So that's, that's how you know if, if that speed never slowed down and you weren't huffing and puffing, the load was too light and you need to increase. Do we need to know, Jeff? Do we need to know? Everyone listening who's saying, all right, I, I'm, I'm all in with strength training. I need to do this. I'm going to do this. Do they all need to figure out what, what their one rep max is? No, nope. And that's the cool thing about this RPE method is you just, it kind of negates the need for that. You just, so again, I just start someone in that 12 to 15 repetition range. And then it's my job as a coach with, with each exercise to choose the load. And that's part of what the familiarization phase is about. Cause I mean, I'm getting familiar with everybody just as much as they're getting familiar with doing exercises and stuff like that. So I use that two or three week period to learn what the correct loads are for each exercise in that repetition range. And then from there, it just starts to get easier because you know, we learn from experience, right? So the more you experience, the more you're like, oh, okay. Um, and, then, and then as we drop to 10 to 12 and 8 to 10 and all that stuff, you start to realize that, oh, I only need to in- increase a little bit in order to. So a 10 on, so you, we use these number scales, a, a perception scale. A 10 on a scale of one to 10 is muscle failure. And that's, that's well, you can't, you can't lift, the, you can't lift the weight. Uh, 
right? You can't do it any, anymore. A nine means you terminated the set knowing that you could have performed one to two more repetitions. So a nine, you termin- you finished the rep without help. Without help. And you know, it takes experience. You know, the newbie sure. isn't going to, yeah, it takes experience. Sure. But, but for instance, let's say someone's never walked into a gym in their entire life and they don't even know any exercises or anything. And they walk in and one of the first things they see is someone on a bench press and, and they see that and someone spotting them and they see that person going, right. And they can bear, even someone who's never been in a gym before could probably figure out that person's, you know, it, I hope that co- that person behind them is going to help lift them because they're at the end of their set. So, so there is some intuition here, you know, it's so, so, so a 10, a 10 on a scale of, of one to 10 is your maximum effort, you, muscle failure. You couldn't have performed another repetition. A nine means that you were really close to that. But with experience, you start to feel internally. Yeah. You know what? I probably could have, if I, you know, if I had a gun to my head or something like that, yeah, I probably could have gotten another one or two An eight means you could have gotten two or three. A seven means you got, could have gotten three or four. That's seven to 10 on a one to 10 scale. That's the working set range. Do we want to go to failure? Is that something that you're, that's what I'm getting to. Yes. That's the cool thing about resistance training is that not only do you not need to train to muscle failure, you actually shouldn't be training maybe on occasion because it's a nice point of reference. But the truth is you actually don't want to train to muscle failure all the time. So you can get the benefits of training for decades. I'm 57 and I'm still with certain exercises. I'm still able to increase my strength a little bit. And I, I don't train to I hardly ever train to muscle failure. So as long as you're, so an anaerobic activity means you are at or near, so that, that we're near an all out effort. So on a scale of one to 10, near means seven to 10. It means you're within about three or four repetitions of muscle failure. And then a one to six is a warm up. That's the warm up domain where the speed of the movement didn't slow. The, uh, the, you didn't really have much of a look of strain on your face at the end of the set, et cetera. So those are the characteristics of a warm up. And then one, one, one last thing, you, uh, it, you also, within the scope of a week, you don't want to always go light, 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 and you don't always want to go hard, hard, hard. So the way you set up your program is you ebb and flow with intensity. So you have days during the week where you go a little harder and days during the week where you purposely go a little lighter and harder and lighter and harder and lighter. Harder and lighter means in, your, is, uh, in terms of weight and reps, right? So harder, higher weight, lower reps then lighter, lower weight, higher reps. It can mean that. It can, you know, I don't want to get too confusing here, but it can mean that. But it can also mean if someone's staying in, for example, in that 10 to 12 repetition range and, and they're there for like a three or four week phase. It just means that in that repetition range, some some sessions they're taking exercise closer to muscle failure, like an eight or a nine rate of perceived effort. And some sessions they're not taking their they're, they're you know, leaving some more reps in the tank when they complete the set. So it's more like a six or a seven on that one to 10 scale. So it can mean how close you, lighter can mean how close you take yourself to muscle failure, or it can mean like higher reps. Um, it just kind of depends on how you set up your program. Sure. All right. So we've discussed what intensity looks like. We, we've discussed uh, the amount of reps. What are the exercises? What, what are the exercises? What are the, so, there again, feel free to say I'm crazy. I think that, uh, and it's arguable, I know, because I know there's just there's even squat university out there. <laughs> I think that deadlifts are the king. And the reason for that is because 
very difficult to get injured. Um, if, if it's too much weight, you just drop the weight. Uh, it doesn't, you know, um, fall on your back or anything. Um, you stimulate, as best as I can tell, and I've looked at every almost every muscle uh, from your toe to your neck with one movement. Very few exercises are able to do that. And you get cardio from it as well, because every anytime you get closer to the ground and come up, that causes your heart to pump a little bit harder. So you get even cardio from that activity. So first question is, is, is deadlift what I think it is? And number two is, what are the main exercises to do for strength training and, and muscle hypertrophy? Yeah, you can take the topic of, because what the topic we're talking about now is obviously is exercise selection or choice of exercise. You can break that topic down into two categories. There are what's called primary exercises. And the cool thing is, from a learning standpoint, there's only so many primary exercises. And so if something doesn't fall into the category of a primary exercise, it's by definition an assistance exercise. So in other words, there's primary exercises and then there's everything else. So primary exercises are, and I'll get to your question in a second, but squats, deadlifts, pulls, presses, um, lunge. I would argue that lunges can go in there. And some people would say even things like carries, but Generally, most people wouldn't would not argue that squats, dead deadlifts, lun- multi-directional lunges, pulls, and presses. So those are your primary exercises. So which, which means that people should revolve their routine around the primary exercises to get the most bang for your buck. When it comes to squats versus deadlifts, I am in the camp that both of those exercises are the king or queen of all exercises. Both of them activate over two hundred muscles in the body, and you're going to get benefits from both where squat, both of them are going to really get your glutes. And like you said, you're basically your trunk, you know, so your core, your, your back deadlifts are going to do a better job with the back, probably back musculature, but, but, but squats are going to hit the quads a little better and, and deadlifts are going to hit the, the back of your, you know, your hamstrings and the back of your thighs a little better. So I would just say that, um, let, let's insert both. So I will argue with you a little <laughs> bit there. Yeah, come on, man. You, you, you got to choose one. Here's the other thing with deadlifts also. Like, I've been doing those things for a long time, so I love them both. But I'm looking at it from the perspective of the, the, the new person in the gym. Which one is less intimidating? Barbell on your back? Again, not so much for me, many of my friends, but a new person, without, and let's say without a coach, that's intimidating as opposed to getting in a hex bar, right? Or even a barbell and just do and, and or doing deadlifts. Don't you yeah, think? Yeah. Well, no, I'm going to, I'm going to, so we're going to get, we're getting ready to get into the uh, yelling match here. So how I go about it to, so I, I think that, that both can be intimidating in, in, in an it depends situation. Like for instance, you know, I work in a, I work clinical you know, rehab sports medicine setting. So pretty much everyone who's referred to me has some sort of musculoskeletal issue with back, low back pain being, you know, right up there. And so there's a lot of people who are scared of deadlifts just because of what they heard, you know, all the, all the myths about deadlifts is going to kill your back, you know, and all that stuff. So, so I think, it, I think it's kind of, it depends. And the way I go about it is with everybody, and really on every exercise, but we're talking about squats and deads right now. The first thing I do is I underload them like on purpose. Like I choose weights on purpose that are way too light and I know they're too light. 
And I also make sure that I find their what's called available range of motion, their pain-free range of motion. So I, I really make sure that I'm that I'm choosing a range of motion that's going to be easy for them. I'm choosing a load that's going to be easy for them, and I'm choosing a repetition range. I'm not we're not going to do 15. We're going to do six or five or something like that. So I I really you know kind of close that box in to make it just a nice, easy comfort zone type of situation to get their trust and make them realize that this isn't as bad as what you might think or what you might've heard or whatever. When it comes to like bar in the back, what I typically do is start with like a, something that's insignificant, like an eight pound body bar or something like that, just to show them that even though there is something on your back, um, you can totally handle this. And then we just go up in small increments, you know, whether it's in the same session or over the course of that three week familiarization phase or whatever. So I grade everything, you know, I, I, you know, gradually increase everything. And that's how I go about diminishing fears and gaining trust and confidence in the exercise and me as a coach, you know, and all that stuff. So that's part of the reason why we're getting ready to get into a shouting match with each other because I, I do think that squats and deadlifts. <laughs> Look, I, 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 listen, I, it, there might be no one and two, but you know how it is. Who's the best player ever? Exactly. You know, who exactly. does it do, right? So that kind of exactly. stuff. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So, pre- so we got the selection of exercises, presses, anything. So shoulder presses and bench presses or chest presses. Yeah. So back rows. And then, yes, a horizontal, some sort of chest press, whether it's a dumbbell or a bench or a push-up or something like that. So a horizontal press. And then overhead press, I the way I – since so many people have shoulder issues, I actually don't start with that. I start with more just like lateral raises and reverse flies and you know more like keeping – not having the arm go above the head at first and kind of strengthen the the shoulder rotator cuff, things like that. So I kind of, I start with there in that higher repetition range. And as we start to drop down into lower repetition ranges, then I will, depending on if the person has a healthy shoulder or it's gotten healthy because of what we're doing, then yes, I'll start to, to do overhead stuff. But yeah, so squats, deadlifts, lunges, rows for the back, presses for the chest and shoulders. Depends. Mm-hmm. What's the rest period between one set and, d- and the next? So the way I start with pretty much everyone in that three-week familiarization phase is I allow their heart and breathing rate to come back to at or near resting level. So in other words, I don't time. I, I just allow it to come back to at or near resting level, and I make sure that they're mentally ready to perform the next set. But as their fitness level increases, then I do start to like for instance, I'll superset. So we'll, for example, go do a leg exercise and then a back exercise. So we'll go back and forth. That way their heart rate's staying up, but their legs are recovering while they're doing their back. So it's just kind of a way to, uh, right? And so I, again, I'm not really timing rest periods. I'm, I'm allowing the supersets to time the rest period. And so we just finished the leg exercise. You're a little winded from it. We go over to the seated row machine or something like that. And I'll basically say, I don't want your heart rate to come completely down to resting level, but let's, but you can, but you don't have to like go right away and then do your set. And then when we go back to do legs again, I actually will allow the rest to come back to resting level. Everything operates on a continuum, you know? So kind of my point here is in the beginning, I allow a lot of rest as their fitness level increases. I start to reduce the rest a little bit. And as we go, um, as their fitness level is really increasing and they've been doing this for months or years or whatever, then the answer to your question is it depends on the repetition range. 
Higher repetitions with lighter weights means less rest periods between sets. Lower repetitions with heavier weights, you're now working on strength and you don't want to be fatigued from set to set. You do want to rest. You do want your heart and your breathing rate to come back to resting level. Five minutes, three minutes. Yeah. So the gist of it is, this is it's repetition range dependent. So the one to four repetition range, generally speaking, is five to seven minutes. The four to eight repetition range, generally speaking, is three to five minutes. The eight to twelve repetition range, generally speaking, is about one to two minutes or one to two and a half minutes. And then fit 12, 12 and above, you can do like. You really would never want to go much below. 45 seconds or 60 seconds because you do need some recovery but uh 45 to 90 seconds in those higher repetition range all right so minimally effective dose we have how to tell intensity amount of reps rest period how many sets should we do yep so in that familiarization phase you start i look at sets actually first as your weekly sets And then you just do the math and you break that down to what does that mean in the scope of a session. So we want to strengthen each major muscle group in our body, like our legs, back, chest, shoulders, for example, um, at least twice a week. So let's two to three times a week, but let's say it's twice. So how many weekly sets do we want to do for each muscle group? Yeah. So, so in that, in beginning for people who are just starting, we don't want the volume to be too high or they're going to be sore and cursing your name not be able to walk or whatever. So the weekly set should be four to six at first. And that when, in that first, that three week familiarization phase, which, which equates to two to three sets per session. If you're if, right, because most people are trained like twice a week to start anyways. So that's two or three sets per session, but now getting really to your main, the main answer to your question, current research is showing that the minimal effective dose, if your goal is, is to increase your muscle size, is it's actually a spectrum. Everything operates on a continuum. So it's 10 to 20 sets per major muscle group group per week. If your goal is strength, you actually don't have to do quite as much. It's more like eight to 15. So 12 sets, if you do 12 sets a week, you're getting a decent amount of both. That's what it sounds like, right? Exactly. You're getting good amount of both if you do about 12 sets. Yeah. So what if I'm doing deadlifts several times? So I'm doing deadlifts one week, one day in one week, and then I do squats. You're hitting several. Does that, uh, so those four sets of my deadlifts, is that for every muscle group that I care about since it kind of stimulates or is it not as specific? It's not as specific because even though your back is contracting really hard during a deadlift, it's an isometric contraction. So it's, you know, the back muscles aren't really, they're, they're stabilizing and they're, they're contracting really hard and stabilizing, but they aren't, they aren't causing movement in the upper body to occur. So that's the reason why you, you want to include your rows and your presses. So, uh, along with your, your squats and your deadlifts. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if that answers the question. Or not. No, it does. Look, it, 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 it I think that you've done a, a great job and, um, look, we're, we're trying to get to the prescription of 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 the exercise right so within that comes some complexities of course absolutely so we're trying to narrow it down for those that are at i've never exercised before in my life and god i have to do strength training. i heard the dr geo podcast do and jeff young i have to do the strength training thing i don't want to do it for them for those that are exercise people but not strength people and even those that are already strength people how to optimize you know their program for them to live longer and better with age and prevent or lower the risk of diseases or even co-manage it. So we're trying to hit many things here. So it's a little complex, but I think there's a lot of takeaway. Jeff, 
Thanks so much, man. I really appreciate you coming on. How can people be in touch with you or uh, anything that you have to offer? Yeah. Email me if you have questions. So it's, you know, it's J-Y and then uh, kinesiology. So it's K-I-N-E-S-I-O-L-O-G-Y. So it's J-Y kinesiology, one word at gmail.com. Follow me on Facebook. You can provide, provide the link would be great because that really is my number one. I'm, I'm on Twitter a little bit. I'm on IG a little bit, but I'm mostly a, a Facebook guy. For some people, for some listeners, that might be unfortunate, but you're clearly over 50 years old. Yeah, as right, exactly. <laughs> and then there's a website that I uh, launched with a physical therapist colleague of mine, which were unfortunately it was started off as like a content dump. But I'm getting ready. To, one of my goals here, in very early um, 2023, is to work work with a web designer and and clean it up. But it's MRF institute.org not.com.org so mrf stands for medicine rehab fitness so it's the it's a it's the medicine rehab fitness continuum mrf institute.org uh we're going to be cleaning that up a lot over the next several months and there's a lot of educational content proper form videos i have a book and instructional videos and stuff like that that people can check out if they want. And what's your social, what's your Facebook uh, handle again so that people can follow you there? Yep. J-Y Kines. So J-Y-K-I-N-E-S. So that's my, that's my uh, social media handle for, for Instagram, for Twitter and for Facebook. J-Y Kines. Excellent. Thanks so much, Jeff. We'll, we'll uh, link this up in our show notes. Thanks so much. Happy New Year to you. Have a great day. Thank you. Same, yep. Same to you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Dr. Geo podcast. You can watch all episodes of this podcast and much more by subscribing to my YouTube channel on youtube.com forward slash Geo Espinoza ND. If you love what you heard today, you can help by leaving a five star review of the podcast on Apple and Spotify as each review helps us reach more men who are serious about improving their urological health and how to function better with age. And for the latest research and actionable takeaways in the world of men's health and integrative urology, sign up for my newsletter at drgeo.com. I'll see you next time. And now for a brief disclaimer. This podcast is for general information only, and we're not forming a doctor-patient relationship through this medium. The use of the information and all links associated with this podcast is at the listener's risk and is not to replace medical advice from a physician or a healthcare practitioner. Lastly, thoughts and opinions related to this podcast are my own and may not reflect the views of any institution or organization I'm associated with.